1: Welcome to Spin the Rally Pod, another week in lockdown, another week without the rev of a real live rally car. So another chance for Dirtfish Rally's David Evans and Colin Clark, former team boss George Donaldson and me, rally fan Lisa O'Sullivan, to shine the light on another rally star. But first, David, George, we need to address some really rather alarming images we've seen on social media recently, mm-hmm. namely Colin Clark getting his hair cut.
2: I yeah, know, hang on, I, I'm actually behind this. I've got to okay. say, I haven't seen this, so okay, you don't uh, want to. It's
3: like it's like a sort of snuff
2: movie, but nobody gets killed. <laughs> <laughs> it's awful. It's awful. Where did you go? Where did it's you get patricide. it done? It's patricide. It's patricide.
1: He went I... to the farm.
0: Yeah, in no, the I'm... farm. Yeah, but listen, it was like but, sheep
2: shearing or something. Well,
0: no, yes. No. Well, the, th- the strange thing is, I'd been into Boots earlier that day to get some medicine for the kids, <laughs> right. and and I had I had looked at the hair, the proper professional hair trimmers, and they're about twenty. not get in Boots. They're cheap. Well, they're about twenty twenty five quid, thirty quid, and I thought that's twenty five thirty quid. I don't have to spend. I've got a beard trimmer. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! The story so, gets so, worse. So, so you so, done it yourself. What no no the kids did it the kids did it David you've got to look it, it actually it, from, from what looked like an absolute disaster and and was really you know an almost break the the, the, the lockdown type you know status to run to the hairdresser's house uh, from that I've retrieved it and it's not too bad I'm I can now, live with it
2: Hang on a sec I, you say I can live with it from what was an absolute disaster is this. <laughs> This is not still qualified. <laughs> no. Colin. What on earth have you done, <laughs> dear lord? What's, what's particularly
1: entertaining about this is the <laughs> fact that Colin is convinced his hair will grow back, and I've pointed out there's a chance. I, I, I it am beginning
0: to worry about this now because I just assumed it would grow back, and people keep saying, that? "Well, if when it grows it, back, it, Saturday."
2: Have you noticed much growth so far?
0: No. <gasps> oh dear. Oh, oh, dear. <laughs> Jeez, geez. There's oh, normally
2: dear. always two days of growth.
0: At the, the, the thing is, the thing is, I don't know whether people... Because bis- you know what it's like in, in these days. People are a lot more... They're a lot kinder to each other, aren't they? And, and nobody's... We're all trying not to be I'm nasty not going to be kind about that. Critical. Well, well, I have to say, people have been generally fairly kind about it. And it, it, the only thing that really worries me is this constant, if if it grows back, if it grows back. It's a little worrying, but there we are. I, I, I'm quite enjoying it. You know, it's it, what we've got to do in these times. And I know some people don't agree with this, but I do think we've got to take the opportunity to do things and try things that maybe we haven't done before. Maybe we've yeah, been...
2: Cole, I've just got to interrupt you there. I yeah. The first time we met, you, without... Don't take this the wrong way. You had lovely hair. You had very nice, <laughs> flowing, that, lovely... I can't slightly, be taken anything
3: except the <laughs> wrong way, David.
0: I'm sorry.
2: Slightly David, you've never keegan. said anything slightly, so nice to me. Slightly
0: Kevin keegan can
2: we Can we move on, please, guys? On. Well, what were you going to say, David? I was just going to say, saying? why didn't you go the other way and just let it all grow back? I mean, let oh, it David. grow out and go Kevin Keegan again.
0: David, you know, <laughs> you know as well as I do that 20 years ago... You uh, and I had a lot more exactly. hair than we've got yeah. just now, no, a lot more hair. No, but I do true. keep looking back. You know, there's there's a picture that uh, Gerard Quinn actually tweeted this morning. Mm. Myself and Colin McMaster, and both of us were looking a lot more hair suit than we are just now. <laughs> uh, you, you forget mm. how lovely your hair looks. But anyway, I've gone yeah. for well, it. And, you, yeah. Yeah. I'm well, you bald. have.
1: You've been very brave. You've been mm. very brave. And um, make sure you wear a hat because it's been pretty sunny as well. So you don't to having a burnt bald mm. bonce. Let's move on to the topic, though, that we're going to be talking about today, Sebastian Ogier. And And I should point out, you're right, Colin, we should be trying different things in this gift that we've been given some people it's it's, you know it's horrendous that we're all being locked down and and the terrible disease that is rampaging around the world but the one gift we can take out of this is time Mm. it's something that we never have enough of in life i know a lot of people are working from home george and david you're both uh, Mm. still very very busy but there are a lot of people that have a lot of time on their hands and can sit down and do those things they've always promised they will do should they ever have time so we have time to take a look back on the career so far of Sebastian Ogier, thirty-six-year-old French rally driver, currently in the Toyota World Rally Team and a multiple world champion, discuss.
0: Yeah, who wants to kick it off, David? Do you want to kick it off? No, no, carry on, go. No, well, I, yeah, well, listen, I, Ogier is someone that. that I've always had a lot of time for a lot of respect for, and and I know mm-hmm. he's a little bit marmite, and he's he's developed that throughout his career, hasn't he? And you know, but the one thing that you can never deny about Ogier is his commitment to the sport and the talent he's got, and the, the, the talent is just enormous. And I know that, you know, particularly when we were in the middle of this, this, and it's it's a perpetual debate, isn't it, about road position, and Ogier was was seen to be the one that that moaned an awful lot about road position and all the rest but we mustn't forget that for a number of years you know the uh, people that make the rules changed the rules to try and stop one man and that was Ogier so he had every right to moan and, but and and just ye- to
2: ju- I'll just jump in there Cole just to say yeah. categorically I remember talking to senior people in the FAA who said whichever year I can't remember now but the year they went from running on the on the road first on day one to running on the road first and second on day hmm. uh, t- sorry day, one and, day one and two yeah yeah if you're a championship leader, they said we have to stop Augier winning. It's bad for the sport. It was categorically for that reason.
0: And do you know what? I think if we look back through the history... No, I just think if we look back through the history, and you can perhaps put me right on this, David and George, but we look back through the history of rallying, and certainly I can't think of an occasion where the rule-makers actually applied a new rule to stop a driver. I mean, yes, there have been rules put in place to, to if you like, handicap teams who were perhaps looking a little bit dominant. But I can't remember uh, the rulemaker saying, right, we're going to introduce this legislation to stop this one particular driver. So, you know, the fact that... I'm kind of getting distracted here because I don't want to talk too much about, mm. you know, the fact that people do see him sometimes, I think, in the wrong light you know, we want to talk more about his brilliance, but I think it needs to be said because Sebastian Ogier is a decent, a thoroughly decent human being. And I think okay. he's one of the most misunderstood drivers, potentially, that we've had over the last couple of decades.
1: OK, we'll come back to that um, as we progress, but let's go back and start at the beginning, shall we? Mm. He won the JWRC um, title in the 2008 season, and I think his reward for that was a driver in Wales Rally GB and he surprised everyone by winning well, the very first stage.
0: It was incredible. It was quite incredible. I remember being there at the end of that stage. Don't forget that was the year where in the south of Wales we had a lot of snow and a lot of ice. The conditions were treacherous. And, you know, if you were going to make your debut in a world rally car, those are not the conditions you would have chosen. You absolutely would not have chosen those conditions. But David Ogier reveled in them. It was quite sensational. It, it was. I just to correct you slightly on the geography, there, Col. We were that was the first
2: day we were in Mid Wales, so it was oh, yeah, it yeah, was yeah, actually yeah. the loop around hafran Maeran, and, and, and Sweden. Sorry,
0: when, when I say South Wales, I meant we were based in South Wales, but you are quite yeah. right; we, we were in but, Mid Wales. Yeah,
2: and and it was also that that was the year that uh, well, some of the stages not cancelled, yes, uh, shortened, cancelled. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. were simply because of the snow. Um, and but yeah, you know he he probably had the best of the conditions with a few cars going through and just and breaking the snow and the ice up a little bit but let's not for, for forget it was his first time ever competing in a world rally car you know it was it was extraordinary and it was a real demonstration uh, as if we needed one of of what this bloke could do because you know i mean all through the junior season you know from mexico onwards he had totally dominated okay the the field of competition wasn't again it wasn't massively strong in those days but- but he was absolutely landing. Mm. You know, round one of his World Rally Championship career was Mexico, and he finished what eighth or ninth or something, and and won yeah, junior by a mile. Yeah, yeah.
0: And 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 you know, if we go just just step back that that little step back to that junior year. You know, he seemed to come from nowhere. I, yeah. I remember the first couple of rounds, we go, well, how do we pronounce this guy's name? Is it Augier? Yeah. I think eventually we worked out Augier. Mm. But I also remember that uh, you know, Spain was later on in that year. I can't remember where Spain was. It was, I think, maybe the last round that year. Um, uh, where was it? It was Spain. Um, and he had an accident in that event. And I do remember chasing him on the road section to get an interview with him. It was heading back, final stage of the day, uh, they had an accident and they mm. were trying to make the long road section back to service. Uh, we came across Julian and Sebastian at the side of the road. And back then, he didn't speak to Sebastian because he didn't speak any English. English. Yeah. You know, it was like, no, 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 put his hands in the air and said, speak to Julian. We didn't say speak to Julian, he just pointed towards Julian. Mm. Um, he He just appeared, he appeared from nowhere. Yes, I know he won the, the Pearl Challenge and all the rest, but uh, the way that he burst onto the scene like that he made you sit up and think, hang on, you know, this kid's got proper talent.
2: I absolutely, hundred percent. And you know, while we stick in that in that year in in what it was, oh eight, I think wasn't it? Um, I remember him coming over for a one-off drive in in Ulster, and you know, you think he achieved a huge amount in uh, in in Mexico, going to Mexico and, and winning juniors there. You know, equally coming to somewhere like Ulster is not easy. You know, it's no. quite quite different to. Uh, to the tarmac that you get in, totally in, in the I French Alps, where David. he's from. Yeah, yeah. And and, and he commitment. he won, uh, you know, he was driving a um, uh, a Max car, an R two Max or something like that, and he and he won his class, and he was so impressive. Just you know, but and well, it's these kind of small sort did of. Did I lose everyone? S- snapshots. No, no, no. George can still hear you, or is, George, is it just me that can still hear? We can hear, hear George? George. We can hear you, George.
1: Okay. You sorry, I
3: thought I thought I thought I thought I'd disappeared.
1: I wanted no. to bring you in actually there, so I'm going to ask you a question, George. So um, Yeah. So, Ojo went on, he got his first um, podium on the Rally of Greece, the Acropolis Rally, in 2009, um, second to Miko Hievenen. He's very much part of the Citroën set up by that point, um, and we'll come to the relationship that he had with Sebastian Loeb a little bit further on here. But how important do you think it was that he had the car that worked for him?
3: Obviously, it's it's utterly vital. But again, I mean, as, as both David and and Colin have alluded to, I think if he'd been in any car at all, he would have been he would have been up there fighting at, at the front. Um, and I'm I'm always conscious of the fact that um, uh, some drivers have scored all their wins in one in one team and scored really done all their performances in one team over the years. And you know, many of the Italian drivers only ever drove for Lancia. And there was always doubts about whether they were really that brilliant, or were they just being given the best car back in the you know late eighties and early nineties, even in the seventies. There's, there's infamous events going on. So, uh, but Seb Seb Ogier obviously proved proved the point in case you know when he when he left the Citroen and and went to went to Volkswagen, and he, I mean, he did that year in the S 2000s He did an incredible job and gave me one of my most memorable memories on uh, I think it was Monte Carlo rally. Was it no it wasn't Monte Oof. Carlo? I think it was Monte Carlo Rally. Colin, where where you heard the distinctive sound of a World Rally car and it was an s <laughs> 2000 I still think that was George. one of the best George. moments. That, that almost bettered some of my faux pas.
0: <laughs> but 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 George I tell you what else was was memorable about that stage. Uh because we were waiting for OJ to come through that stage. The World Rally cars were coming through. We were waiting for Ogier. I can't remember. It was the long stages you came off. So there was uh, what was this? What was it called? The um, stage at the top of the hill, George uh, Froid. What was it called? I was, was.
3: I can't remember the, the, what was the name. Called? I can't even quite remember oh. the geography of where we were calling. It's very distressing.
0: No, no. Is it? Well, we were in Valence. Your age. We were in Valence right. we and and uh, was was a look yes. at three stages. Did and coming did, back I'm going to say you just that? Say... Saint
3: Bonnet Lefroid.
0: Saint Bonnet Le I yeah, was so at
3: Saint Bonnet Lefroy.
0: You were. And then I was down at the as they came back down the mountain heading back down towards service, I was at the final stage that day, and that's where the distinctive sound of the world yeah. rally car came from. Yeah. Um, but it was, but on it was that being stage, driven like absolutely well, No, no, that wasn't that wasn't him because he crashed. He was he he got about three splits into that stage and was leading the stage, if I remember correctly, in an S two thousand, and then yeah. had the most Monumental crash, the most monumental crash. It was—you uh, know—they were both very lucky to get away with it. Okay. Uh, but Nothing. that was that same stage. It was incredible. Just to interrupt
1: there, you have you, alluded to it, but can you explain the, the the unmistakable sound of the rally car?
0: Oh, I, I, I was—it was—it was a blooming Subaru, and I remember I couldn't walk into the Subaru <laughs> service area at the end of the day, because they were <laughs> falling around laughing. <laughs> It because you said it laughing. was the
1: unmistakable sound of
0: a world rally car, and it was it was an S2000 car. I mean, it was it was an absolute <laughs> nonsense thing. It was an end of a long day. But headphones Colin, on, brain was, fried. Yeah, and it nonsense. was the most
3: superb sound, Colin. It was an engine yeah. being absolutely revved to the limit, echoing off about five cliff sides, because Colin's in this gorge. And he's getting the sound coming at him, you know, repeatedly. It was pretty amazing sound. I can remember listening to it as I drove down towards service that night. Oh, yeah. I was listening to it on my phone. I would be dialed into to Bex or to yourself, whoever it would have been, giving me a feedback so I could hear it. And the sound coming through Colin's microphone was just tremendous. But it was I remember just having to stop the car for laughing so much when the, when the Subaru yeah, had appeared with him. Yeah. When the S two thousand it appeared, was the, it was funny.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all quite ridiculous. But there we go. Um, but that, that was that was Augier and that was Augier's stage and uh, you know, that that was again what we're jumping forward a, a little bit. That was actually that was the year of the uh yeah, that was the year, as you say, before then the first year with uh, with Volkswagen, was it twelve, uh, eleven, or twelve. I think we we
2: we've got to go back. Hey, we Cole, do. We've got to we go do. back we do. because we you know we we've gone far too quickly over the start of his career yeah. uh, as, a, as a yeah. as a Citroen driver when he was first in the World Rally Car. So he had that yeah. incredible debut in, and in, that's the
1: Citroen C4, yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. And he had that amazing debut in in the. In the C4 uh, in GB, and then don't forget Monty in those days. Was it the first year, the first year of it being an IRC round? Yeah, and he came and great. won it in the S two thousand car, didn't he? Uh, he did. In the two hundred seven. But the point for me was early in his career, uh, and this is something we quite often overlooked. He was in the. Uh, The junior team, whatever they called it back in those days. Mm. But he had a pretty shocking run, a difficult run, until we talked quite quickly about finishing second in Greece. Uh, And that was a particularly, uh, you know, horrendously rough year uh, in in Greece. And he just drove sensibly. But I think about that time, he was coming under massive pressure. uh, And they were... Not far off being hoofed out of the team. I, you know, I, who knows if that's entirely yeah. accurate. But oh, certainly, no, no. He'd, he'd crashed a couple of times. He'd had some miserable results. And it wasn't working. And it wasn't working. In testing, we could see the speed. There was pressure on, from within the team, there was pressure on him to get rid of Julien, get him out of the car, absolutely. get someone like Daniel Grateloup in. Mm-hmm. But Augier, you know, this is a mark of the man. He stuck to Julien. He absolutely stood by him. And he found, you know, there was that something clicked in Greece and it was just taking two steps back to take probably 10 steps forward. Yeah. You've seen this a hundred times, George, you know, with a driver that's like a bull in a china shop, absolutely yep. giving it everything. But David, it no, but you're,
0: forget, but you're forgetting a really vital point here, David, before Greece. A really vital point. Remember who was in charge at the time of Citroën? It was Olivier Canel, a man who was divisive. At the best of times. A very very difficult man, unfortunately, to he get He wasn't
2: divisive with, with, with Augier. He was absolutely well, backing Augier. Well, he
0: was. No, he wasn't. Remember, was. Augier was given a five, maybe six, from memory, rally deal at the start of the year. At the start of the year, he was given five or six rallies. And he did what every other... Junior driver progressing from the junior category into the top category. He did what every other driver has done throughout history, and he tried to prove himself in five or mm. six rounds. What Canel did before Greece was he said, I've made a mistake here. I've made a mistake. At the start of the year, I should have guaranteed him the whole season. So he guaranteed him the season with mm. a, an understanding there would be one more season on top of that. So all of a sudden, Ogier's Christ absolute desire and need to prove himself on every single rally disappeared. I don't uh, remember th- that. That that did happen. I'll guarantee you that happens. It was, it was Canel and he stood up and to be fair to Canel, he did actually say, this is my mistake. I should yeah. never have given him five or six rounds at the start of the year. I should have because the, the intention was always to give him the whole season anyway. Mm. So, you know, yeah, I made a mistake and in him not gan- keep him keen. Correct, but, and, it, and it, it backfired. But
2: that was, you know, that the way that relationship developed with with Canel and, <laughs> and Olshey was very strong. And you know, but yeah. then, you know, the, the, without jumping forward again too far, but you know, when he suddenly got into the into the factory team, so he replaced Sordo, didn't he? The, the year after, in what was it, uh, ten or eleven? Twenty eleven. But I do want to go back to twenty ten in a moment. Okay, well let, let's do that then. Let's stay chronological.
1: <laughs> Na- the reason I want to go back to 2010 is because it's the first um, first full WRC season. As yeah. you mentioned, he also did Monte Carlo in the Peugeot 207 S2000 in that one. Um, had to retire with an alternator problem on the final day of that particular event. But it was a really interesting season for him. Jordan, I want, I want to know about Jordan because yes. I rem- there were team orders where he had to pick up a time penalty and that forced him to drop back um, in the standings, and I can't remember why.
0: Oh, George, do you remember, George? It was one of the most infamous mornings, Sunday mornings, in, in recent rallying history. Because, you know, we saw, you, you talk about tactics that we see nowadays. And uh, David, by the way, some mm. fantastic stuff with you and Adamo. Absolutely loving it. Yeah, but, fabulous. Uh, Really fantastic stuff. But the one line I took out of, out of... There was lots of good stuff, clearly. But when Adamo said, look, I read the rules. And this this is George Donaldson-esque. I read the rules. I understand the rules. I apply the rules. Mm. Uh, now, what we saw that morning in Jordan um, was similar, but to the absolute extreme. Mm. I, it, was, it was a day where, if you were leading the rally, I think, were you first on the road lead, going into the final day? I think Probably rally leader was first...
2: I not think, think you were yeah I, I think you I
0: think were. I think so I think what they did from memory is they took Ogier who was well out of the rally mm. and they put him first on the road so they they advanced him about 20 minutes 25 minutes mm.
3: massive penalty
0: uh, And and then and then Ford did something similar with who would it have been because the battle was between Latvala and and, Mikko. Uh, and uh, was it would it have been yeah they t- Ford took one of their drivers and they responded and the whole thing got out of hand and then there was a uh, quite a big debrief afterwards clearly with the FIA saying hang on what we're doing here is bringing the sport into disrepute and we can't mm. do this you know we understand that the rules allowed you to do it uh, because you chose to sacrifice one of your junior team drivers um, but we can't be doing this it's not right it's not fair um, but it was a heck a heck of a rally I remember that in terms of how it, how it helped or what, what it meant for Ogier in history I'm not really sure but it was a heck of a rally that's for sure
2: I, I think we, we should come back to this come back to this yeah. in another podcast because I'm sure that you say it's not fair but I, I would love to take, get George's take on this because it's it's part of the game, isn't it, George? And let's perhaps not it, it, get into this it here. It is, I
3: mean, it can, it can sometimes be regarded as a little bit dirty and tricky but I, I mean, I can we, definitely worthy of another discussion because there are cases where you can use it very, very cleverly to your advantage mm. and there's times when you're just leveraging it in that sort of... Brutalistic and, 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 you know, in Adamo's defense, very honest ways, making it quite clear the rules say I can do that. In reality, the organisers can, it's it, it's in the regulations, at least I, I need to double check it's still there. But the organisers, the, the clerk of the course, at his own discretion, can reseed the rally uh, whenever they require if they feel that there's something inappropriate happening. So they could actually stop the rally at the start control of a stage. So, you know, if somebody's popped. You know, if if, if Hyundai have popped uh, Danny Sordo in in front of, of uh, one of their drivers to get a cleaner road, the organisers can stop it and they can reorder it at that point. Now,
1: with all the... That's a very brave clerk of the course that would do that. Well, it's Absolutely. been done. It
3: was done in Australia, uh, Lisa, where, where I think it was... I've got a feeling it was Ford had done it. So it was M- Malcolm, I guess. I'm, I could be wrong. I'm not trying to diss anyone at all. But all the teams have done this. And, and utilise the rules to, to. And Gary
2: Gary Connolly was a very brave clerk of the course, wasn't Gary he?
3: Gary was? Connolly was a very <laughs> brave clerk of the course, and he stopped the rally and he reordered it. Mm. And I remember because I was obviously a team manager at that time, and we were talking about it. And and I said, no, no, I said that can be reordered. The organisers can just redo it. And I know Gary Connolly, and he will and mm. blow me, he did. But he's the only guy that's ever done it. I don't know why it's not been done more often, and it would well, stop it I tell you... Let's... We
1: will we will come to that. Yes. We'll have a team orders and playing by the rules episode of the Spin the Rally Pod. And if you've got any questions or any idea about what you'd like us to talk about in that. Get in touch at Dirtfish Rally and we'll we'll focus on specific points so get your questions in at Dirtfish Rally. You can also send them to Voice of Rally or at David Evans Rally. Is that yes. your handle David? It yep. is. Yes it is. So let's let's continue because as I say 2010 was a really interesting season. We also had Rally New Zealand. Now Ojo's so close to getting his maiden WC win at Rally New Zealand in 2010. Wow.
3: Ooh, you, that
0: was special. Last stage, it was, wasn't it? That was last f- stage, but f- cuffs, But even wasn't before it? that, guys. But even before that, guys, Rally Turkey, he, he was if I remember correctly, he was right up there in Rally Turkey. Uh and potentially could have won that one. But yeah, we went to New Zealand and it was the Fonga Coast. It was the last mm. stage of the rally and we had how many drivers? Three drivers Those. could have won it.
2: And Mikko Maybe spun f- and then somebody else spun, didn't they? What Solberg, Solberg could yeah. have won it.
0: And he, he crashed into a pole about, I don't know, a few kilometres in. Um yeah, there was another there was another problem and and because if you Fonga Coast is a beautiful stage. It's a beautiful flowing stage along the side uh, of that wonderful coastline there. But about the last kilometre George, it goes under the trees, doesn't it? And, it? and it's quite dark and it's quite slippery under the trees and the surface changes. And I think, oh, oh, hello, telephone call for George Donaldson. <laughs> not me. <laughs> <laughs> and and the, the, the last, maybe maybe not even kilometre, maybe only the last 800 metres, there's a couple of very tight corners. It was damp, it was darker, it was slippery. And Ogier, with four corners to go, winning the rally, spun it and put it down the bank. And 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 lost the rally. Four corners to go. It was astonishing. Lavala came through imperiously, having not won a stage all event, and took the win. It was mm. just sensational stuff. It was sensational. But at that Five point, live TV we thought, as
1: well back then. Uh, and that victory y- margin, yes. two point four seconds in the rally. Was
0: that,
2: was that the wow. year? Was that the year that that Loeb hit that gate thing?
0: Ah, yes. Early on, in the he, rally. Yeah, early he did, on. Didn't he? It was a bridge, it was a bridge parapet he hit, I seem to remember. That's right, yeah. uh, It was the year that we had, we had tarmac stages, remember that, in New Zealand, the best gravel stages in the world, and inexplicably that year they put in a whole load of tarmac stages, mm. and I believe, was it on a tarmac stage? It might not, not a have mix, been. They
3: were a mix of stages. Well, it, was mix. Was it was a mix, it was a mix, yeah, it a was a mix, mix. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was but, classic uh, stages that had partly been asphalted, so it was. it was... Uh, that's You're it. So, yeah, it. I,
0: it I, was, I have to say, me,
2: yeah. I'll just as a brief, and I'm sure we'll come to Sebastian Loeb at some point uh, to to talk more about very soon about him. Uh, oh, maybe you should save this story then. Yeah, no, no, carry on.
1: Well, I was going to say let's 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 move on slightly because I mean these 2010 and 2011 such key years for for Ogier. and of course that first win came at the very next event, the Rally of Portugal, his first WRC victory, and. um uh Loeb feeling the onerous task of sweeping on the start of that rally he was at the front and and it cost him
2: it for me you know i remember that event and and that was you know i remember everybody raised an eyebrow there because he was allowed to win you know he beat he beat Loeb, didn't he and there was not a lot in it uh and and he was allowed to take the win and Maybe that was the start of the time that we started to see that Canel was really kind of starting to back his man. Um and was that the beginning of the sort of the end uh of, of Lobet Citroen? Of course it, it wasn't because ultimately the big guns like Guy Freckeland came back out uh and sorted everything out for him. Uh and and quite rightly so. Uh who am I to say it wasn't? But it was such a close event that Portugal all the way through. Uh it was a classic, but it was, you know, it was an absolute indication um, that Augier could drive quickly and consistently and he could bring the thing home. You know, he led from from early on, didn't he? Uh, and you're quite right, Lise, you know, it was it was the running order thing to start with. And down, you know, any stage in, in warm sunshine in Portugal, you're going to be crucified first on the road. But those roads down in, uh, in uh, the Algarve were horribly, horribly loose at times. Uh, but, yeah, he was... It, superb you know a genuine a proper you know not a gifted win at all
0: it was a good fight and he deserved it uh and, and yeah, i think we, we we need to point out that you know this is still relatively early in his career, career. he's, yeah, he's yeah. been driving i mean what was that in terms of wrc starts he was probably up to somewhere 22 around 22
2: or 25 or
0: something like yeah, that. yeah but well, I, don't, I don't even think it's quite as many i don't as even think thing.
1: it's as many as that now it, it's, well, if, it's, you can
3: the, if you count the juniors yeah it would be well, well, yeah, if you
0: count the juniors, but if you say WRC starts, mm. I mean, we're talking maybe uh, 16 or 17 WRC starts and he takes a win. Mm. Um, and it could have been earlier. So, uh, you know, you look, you look at you, know, you look at the recent crop of WRC drivers, Guys, I've, you look I've how basically long it took Tanak to take his first win. Remember that wonderful first win he took in Sardinia, Elvin Evans to take his first win in GB, Mickelson when he took his first win. You know, th- these were drivers that were many, many seasons... Into their WRC careers before they managed to convert what we saw as potential talent into real, real deliverable results. And, and Ogier, following a pattern of what he'd done really through all of his all of his career so far, delivered early on. David.
2: Let's see. Let's see how long it takes Cali Rowan Perry if, if when <laughs> the world gets <laughs> yeah. normal again. But, <laughs> but no. Now, yeah. what,
1: but I was going to say what's interesting about this, and, and we're going to move on to 2011 now because you, you've both spoken there about the different. Political support within the team that both Sebastian Ogier or Sebastian Lerb had mm. in in and in this battle that we started seeing this little fracture inside the Citroen team. Danny Sordo's results were disappointing, and as a result, we saw Ogier get promoted up to the senior team for the end of 2010. So we go into 2011, and he is in the um, senior team. But,
0: mm, what what is the most remarkable remarkable thing about that though? The most, George, can you remember what the most remarkable thing was? I'm putting you both on the spot.
3: David, you go first.
1: <laughs>
0: no, no, no. Let me there, very, there, quick, let me very
1: quickly w- just finish what I was going to say. So, Sorry, so Ogier, Ogier gets promoted up to the senior team and he starts 2011 as Sebastian Loeb's team. equal in yeah. the That's team. it. Mm.
0: That, is this, that is the point. Quite remarkable. You've got a guy who's won, okay, at this point he's won two or three rallies by now. Uh, you've got a young junior driver, Progressing up from the junior team into the main factory team you've got I think a five or six times world rally champion at that point yeah. and th- this this was the downfall of Olivia Cannell sadly, he made some decent decisions. this was a very poor one you uh, he, he appointed them both as joint, there was no number one driver. Yeah, but, Colt, how, how can you know, that be? The guy had and, to and make his just mark. And
1: also, just to highlight at this point as well, that we had the DS3 WRC due mm. to start the season, didn't start in Sweden, and so we had a new car coming into the team as well. Yeah, but yeah. but
2: at least it's got to be said that, he, you know, was that a poor decision? Because at that time, I'm convinced that Guy Freckland was still running the team. 100%. Right. You know, from, from behind, from wherever he was, you know, Loeb was managed by Freckland, and, you know, he still had such influence over that team. Canel had got this young guy who was clearly super talented in Augier. In and what else was he supposed to do? You know, Augier was at that point, at the start of eleven. he wasn't going to stand for being second best, you know, for, for another season. He may have done one more year, but that was it. And Cannell had to take a gamble. He had to do something to try and shake this, essentially the shadow of Guy Freclan off and ultimately it cost him his job but i just want to say mexico round it was round two that year that was where things totally crystallized do you remember that um was leading i think was it going into the last day or the last i can't remember if it was last stage um and they were told to hold station and start of sunday morning so the story goes, yes, Sebastian yes, Loeb got out yes. of his car as they were lining <laughs> yes. up yes. and walked to Augier's uh, car. Augier was leading, he o- opened the door on, on Sebastian Augier's car and said, I slow down for nobody, and shut the okay. door and walked off. Got That That got into Augier's <laughs> head, and Cole, what happened?
0: Well, he crashed. <laughs> he crashed. <laughs> he crashed. It was the maestro the... against The Apprentice, wasn't it? it yeah. was, he that, absolutely that was, that was destroyed him. Terrible. But equally, strong, equally awful, let's but
2: let's look... Augier
1: did then go on to win was,
2: Portugal and Jordan. Just going to say that, Lise, you know, look at how Augier, you know, that could have floored a lesser driver. That could have kept them down for a long time, that kind of psychological warfare. Augier immediately demonstrated, you know, back-to-back win in Portugal. And then was that, Jordan, was that the super close one? Two-tenths yes, of a second. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, I mean, what, what does, does that, that say Lavelle? about yeah. this guy? You know, going up against someone like Latvala, who'd been around for years uh yeah. and
0: he won. how did he again the way the way that they won that sorry to keep throwing in these funny stories not funny stories but maybe slightly off the wall stories but he won that through through intelligence through if you remember if you remember that flying finish was on a 90 right the flying finish was actually on a 90 right in jordan and in jordan and right. and in jordan if you remember you know, these, these weren't really defined roads so, you know, a normal 90 right, you'd have to take it, wouldn't you? Mm. But in Jordan, all that defined this 90 right was some tape, some tape, you know, and that's all it was. So, Ogier had worked mm. out with the team beforehand, actually, you know, we don't want to be breaking, uh, you know, we want to be flat out through the flying finish. Everyone else was breaking through the flying finish to take this 90 right directly at the flying finish, mm. whereas Ogier decided, no, I'm going to go straight on, and you know, there was a little bit of jiggery-pokery went on there because the team had people on that corner to make sure there were no spectators there. So it was the corner, the 90 right, defined by tape, after the flying finish, no one there. Augier straight through the tape.
3: Straight through the that tape, full throttle. Mm. That
0: Thro- is great tactics. Straight through the tape. And that, that, yeah. that was the difference in those two-tenths of a second. Mm. That was the difference. And it was just stunning. It was stunning teamwork it was stunning tactics, as you say, George, and it was it was it was it was dodgy, you know. But but they they they'd covered their bases. They had their mm. people there clearing the spectators away, and let's be frank, there weren't that many in Jordan anyway. Um, <laughs> so uh, j- just just absolute genius, just absolute that's, that's genius. It's good dodgy,
3: Colin. Though
1: it's good dodgy. It's
3: in- inventive. Well, it's it, creative. It's clever.
0: Smart. It is, it is all those things. I agree with that yes. entirely, George. It was, it was phenomenal. If-
1: and if you're not breaking the rules, if you're bending them, on. you're not breaking them, oh. then you crack on too. Mm. So, Can uh, I make oh.
3: my tuppence worth on on Auger on, uh, and, and and Loeb there? Am I
1: okay to do well, that, ha, okay, Well, I was going to say, we, we'll come on be to him, because that, that's going to be my next question, actually. Uh, I just want to mention that Argentina, he rolled, finished without a steering wheel, so that cost him the win in but the it, last it, stage. again, he was leading. Yeah,
2: he leading. was, he was leading. And yeah. it, was, it was a fight with Loeb again. Yeah, Sorry.
1: So, th- so then we go on to the Acropolis rally and this is where we really saw the relationship with Loeb deteriorate. I do so, I
2: do remember that it was a This dust is all about road opening yeah. exactly
1: who was opening the road and yeah. I think that was the year that we had a lot of dust hanging in the air as well. And I, this isn't the year as well that Petter Solberg um yes. spun in the stage and didn't and Chris didn't know which they were going, which way they were going, That's whether right. they were going up the stage or or down the stage. Well, it's not with nighttime,
0: night-time stage. stages, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was the night they, they started at the Acropolis, they actually started in the centre of Athens and the ceremonial start and they came back towards uh Itea, is that what it was called? No, it, was it Itea? Where were we staying? It was near to the Corinth Canal. Lutraki, um, Lutraki. Lutraki, yeah. Heading towards yeah. Lutraki. and there was a stage yeah. that ran into the back end of Lutraki uh, that ran at night. Uh, and remember, Chris and and Peter, Chris got lost in his notes, and it was one of the one of the best bits of onboard. You felt desperately for Chris oh, Patterson, awful. but my goodness, how calm Peter Solberg stayed in that situation was and encouraging. You have seen other drivers. Remember mm. Chevy Pons when when poor old Carlos De Barrio. You know, yeah, they popped in <laughs> to get some grapes. Well, grapes. <laughs> and Pons was absolutely livid. Uh, perhaps not the, the best, the best, uh, the best thing to show young co-drivers. But Solberg's, the way Solberg dealt with the issue that his co-driver had on that stage was just quite phenomenal. But you're so, quite right, them, David. It was are, in the evening, and it, it did it did define road position, defined the start of that rally.
1: Dust, darkness, and headlights really didn't work well. But I will remind you, the Acropolis Rally. So this is where on the Saturday night, Ogier slowed down. So that yes. loeb would be starting would be opening the road Ooh, the right. next day, and he had been getting times, so he Ooh, based himself on times yes. that that were given to him by the team, but there was apparently quote uh, a technical problem yes. that stopped Sebastian Loeb getting the reciprocal information
2: that's right, I remember yes. because it was this yes. Saturday night and it was we were in that casino, weren't we. <laughs> Uh, and, and <laughs> No, 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 the, the whole event was based in a casino. Oh, uh, someone like said, there's a rally on, boys. And then came. Loeb came out of service and I was working and I'd got back into the casino early. And just as he was going into the hotel, I was walking in the door as well uh and he'd he'd really spoken to very few people that night, and I remember vividly him saying essentially, there are forces within this team working against me yes uh, and it was remarkable and and you're ed- exactly r- right least that that you know it had been bubbling, but then suddenly it was out there, and I remember going to see uh Jerome Bure, who worked for l'équipe uh and telling him that this had
0: just happened uh and it was it was a huge story, huge story which and David. Because the, the accusation, David, was was always, or certainly in that part of that season. And remember that there was a quite a lot of, you know, there were a lot of tactics being played because road position was so important for the final day. Yeah. Um, you you would drive to splits, you would drive to the times that you knew your competitors have set, mm-hmm. and it was remarkable how many times that Ogier's splits stopped working. Yeah. on the final stage. And there was no information from Ogier. We had no idea where he was. And that, I think, is what Loeb was referring to when he said, you know, there's something working against us in this team. But the, the, the suggestion at the time was that somehow Ogier's engineers' team had found a way of, of disconnecting the GPS box. But then we got to, we got to Germany. And that well, was I was going to where. To, get to Germany.
1: Oh. George, George, didn't you want to mention something about Ogier and Loeb's relationship? Well,
3: absolutely. I mean, I mean, I guess the, the bottom line was, and I mean, I'm a massive fan of both Sebs, um, uh, I regard Seb Loeb as an absolute god and and Auger pretty well the same. They're, they're equal gods to me. There's no supreme one amongst them. They're both brilliant. But Seb Loeb, for many years, and he earned his position, make no mistake about this, but he was unequivocally the number one driver at yeah. Citroën. And they and they ran. Danny Sordo as the second driver, and Danny quite often got seconds and thirds. Never looked like challenging, and that was it. Along Follow comes team Sebastian. Along, yeah, following team orders, getting probably getting paid quite a decent salary as well. Thank you very much. But along comes Ogier, a, a challenger, another French driver. They they, they they lose Danny Sordo and replace him with uh, with with Ogier perfectly good thing to do, probably also thinking that Seb Loeb is maybe reaching the end of his career, because he's, he's done just about everything um, and uh, uh, the team is unable to deal unable to compute running two drivers equally and it was, it was fumbled all the way it uh, was and, terribly. I mean, you'd have to say, Citroen brilliant team all round nothing but time and respect for them but my goodness me they didn't really understand running two drivers, did they? They didn't figure no. it at all. It Compare was all, that with it, Tommy Mackinnon. Compare it with Tommy Mackinnon. He's running. He's running, two, three, four drivers now potentially, all with the ability to, to to win a rally, and he's going to he's going to
2: deal with it very elegantly by comparison, I suspect. It was all And as around, you say,
1: David, it all came to a head in Germany.
2: It did, but it was Was it around this time that that. Loeb had sort of flirted a bit with Formula One, and and he was, you know, there was a lot of question marks around that time, particularly around yep. Germany time. Would he continue? Was he was he going to retire? Was he going to go elsewhere? But Germany,
0: it, yeah, Oh, it, Germany, David. It
2: started just with before the, the race
1: started. I think it, um, they announced he, he announced he had extended his, his contract, contract with Citroen. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. At the at the, the media function on the what would have been the Wednesday night. Uh, and that essentially that decided, you know, that sealed the fate for both um, for both Ogier and for Olivier Canel. I remember mm-hmm. the guy, the hugely, the biggest Grand Fromage of all of Citroën came to Germany essentially to to make that news with Loeb, um, and who had
1: never lost in Germany.
2: No, exactly. But was that was that must have been the time that Loeb was. Close-ish to Volkswagen. Was talking Vol- to Volkswagen.
0: Yeah, Vol- Volkswagen was the big. There was the big threat, wasn't it, to, to yeah. Citroen? And it was the big concern was Volkswagen and, at that point.
2: And the guy, the big guy from Citroen, came in and said, essentially, Citroen without Sebastian Loeb is Paris without without the Eiffel Tower.
0: Great quote, Which is astonishing. And you know, from yeah.
2: that minute onwards, Ogier was finished in that team. Not a hope. He'd got to get out. And and but, then you know the, the the way the event played out, there was. Some might say justice oh. in there.
1: What I mean, what an amazing <laughs> battle it was, though, because the two of them were, were a standout in that rally. Everybody else was was somewhere else further down the field. It was all about the Battle of the sebs,
2: wasn't it? it? Completely, completely.
0: But it, and we and got the, to the end of Friday <laughs> evening. Well, we got to the end of Friday evening, and I think, if my memory serves me correctly, there was something like six or seven seconds in it between the two sebs. And they'd yes. come to an agreement that whoever leads... At the end of the, Saturday, the Friday evening, Uh, you know, because a one-two for Citroen, as you say, at least they'd never lost in Germany. It was, it, it was more or less, you know, uh, their event, and, and a one-two would be fantastic, mm. uh, incredible result for them, particularly considering the news that, as you say, David, they just put out earlier in the week, and they decided, or certainly <laughs> Loeb had decided at this point, you know, yeah, this is it. I'm leading. It might be a slender lead but i 'm going to win this event now, and that decision was taken. it was Friday night, wasn't it, David
2: yeah, I'm sure it was yeah, absolutely It was
0: Friday night, and then they went out they went out to uh, the stages on the Saturday, and if you remember it was it was stages to the south of Trier. it was the the Panzer stages that we were on, um, and apparently Ogier that morning had spoken to the loeb had spoken to the grand Fromage to to reiterate, "Look, I am going to win this and apparently he'd asked the grand Fromage, whose name escapes me i can 't remember what his name yeah. was. To to phone Augier and and just to reiterate to Augier, we are holding position in this uh, and Augier had got the phone call and had we understand he'd accepted it somewhat reluctantly he'd accepted it mm. but th- there were some expletives there was some anger there was some frustration in the car then we get to Panzerplatter Davis yeah and it all kicked <laughs> off didn't it that that was where yeah, it kicked the off
2: the puncture came for for Loeb I and mean, it's fair to say that you know they S- so like, can I just interrupt
1: because Colin. Didn't you speak to Augier earlier in the day? Because I remember on the radio, now I can't remember the quote, but he was, when Augier gets really tight-lipped, but you know he wants to tell you something, and then he says something that feels like it's almost reactionary rather than, oh, I didn't mean to say that, but I had to say it out loud. Was it something about justice?
0: Oh, no, 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 just- that was after. Or- that was at the end, that, so that was at the end of the stage. Yeah. So we've got Loeb's come through first, and Lobes, we, we understand Loeb's got a problem. Remember, it was a 50k stage in those days. It was mm, a monster huge. of a stage. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and Loeb
0: had come through, and we could see him losing time. He'd lost, again from memory, 40-odd seconds. might have been a little more. might have been yeah. 50 seconds. So the gap between Loeb and Augier on the stage was down to around about a minute, so Loeb comes through and he jumps out the car and he's out, he's checking the tyre. and he, So we've had a minute to speak to him and, and just we're, literally, we're not actually speaking to him because he, he's looking at that front tyre, he's, he's shaking his head. Mm. We're just about to go in for the interview and Auger pulls up behind at the stop control. And I don't quite know what he did, but the look on his face was, a, as I understand it, a slightly mocking look. And for a split second... Sebastian Loeb lost it, and I have never seen anger in Loeb's face. But it, it was more than anger; it was a look. It was a look that he wanted to kill Ogier <laughs> for a second, oh. for a split second. His face contorted; his but... eyes were out on stalks. And, and at the time, I remember saying to the cameraman, who wasn't quite ready was your camera running and he said yeah yeah it was running it was running i said we have to check that because and you know what to be fair to, to the wrc tv guys they put that moment into the show and they put it in slow-mo and it was a look of absolute hate hate but, and loathing and disgust and whatever you want to call we'd it we'd it never seen
2: we'd never seen Loeb's character tested like that ever nope. had we it had just nope. it just hadn't happened um, and, but then, you know, that was the point, Lise, that you, you alluded to earlier, that Colt, you then went to Auger, and what did he say? <laughs>
0: went, went to Ogier, <laughs> and the first thing he said was, today I have seen there is justice in this sport. Yes. And it, it floored me, it completely, <laughs> it was one of those, you didn't just say that, you didn't just say that. About and that was teammate. all he said. Gee, that was, was all he said. That was all he said, George, about the seven times world rally champion. You know, know. not just his teammate. Wrong. It was, but but that that was the end of Canell, as I understand it, David. He yeah. went pretty soon after that, didn't he? And no, it, he went. And it, he
2: went at the end of the year, because that that the end of eleven. We were in Bill Thwells in the service. And I remember vividly, again, standing in a cow shed in Bilth Wells, talking to Cannell about this whole thing, about the, whole, the way it had all played out. And Cannell said, you know, I will be gone at the end of this year. And I think they may have announced it. I don't know. And he said, at some point in the next... Six months, a year, whenever, I will tell you the true story. I will tell you everything that happened. And still, Olivier, if you ever happen to catch this podcast, please come to us now and and tell us. We never got around to having that conversation, but it was quite clear that it was absolutely just, it was untenable for him to continue. It was toxic, wasn't it? It Totally. And and at that time, remember, um, Augier started uh, GB and we did the ORM, on maybe yes. on the Thursday afternoon and he went off, didn't he? And he hit the Utterly
0: inglorious. Yeah. He, he didn't go it, off. Yeah, he smack smacks it's the, the rock. And face he broke the suspension.
2: On on the Orm. And it, yeah. again, you know, remember that Sunday morning, the last Sunday morning, I went to find Auger in that cow shed and I said, you know, this is the this is your last day at Citroen. How does it feel? You know, this is the team that brought you into this sport. And he was he was quite lost, you know, and quite emotional. And I can't remember at that time if he'd done his deal to go to VW because there was there was Malcolm with Ford or there was there was um there was Volkswagen. But you know, if he went with Volkswagen he'd gotta take a year out, which is a huge gamble for a guy who at that time had won maybe seven or eight rounds of the championship. Um or he went with, you know, what was a proven winning car with with the Fiesta. Um, and in the end, he, he took the punt and and went with VW. But at that time, I mean, George, you will remember, we had no, mm. we knew the VW was strong. We knew that they would got a lot of potential because they'd won Dakar and everything. But it was a big it was a big gamble, wasn't it?
3: It was a huge gamble. I mean, there's there's always the risk that these teams come in and stumble. We just you know, lost you there saw, for a sec, we saw George. Hyundai come in and stumble. You know, they they, they had a they had a tough start when they come I in. Know, it's it's re- not an- it's not a given so, that they're going sorry, to get George, in easily. Sorry,
1: George, could you just Sorry, George, I know um, it's recording at your end, but we missed what you said. So could you just stop from what you said again there?
3: Sorry, of course, it's a a massive gamble for for Ogier to have gone to to VW because very often these factory teams come in and and they're not as smart as they think they are. You know, I mean, it it does occur. Uh, That said, the Volkswagen team was very well proven. I knew a number of guys in it and I was reasonably confident they were going to get it right. But you know... Mm. Sometimes these factory teams, they can be a little bit entrenched in their beliefs and they want to invent everything themselves. Um. So it can't it can go wrong yet. Yeah, massive gamble, bottom line, massive gamble. But also, can I just add at this point that that bad blood between Seb Auger and Seb Loeb, I don't counter it to either guy. They were both absolute gentlemen who loved the sport massively. Yeah. They were put into that position by some circumstances that... You can maybe say the team made mistakes. I think it's a little bit unfair to even level it at them. It was a circumstance that somehow managed to develop that wasn't properly read. Based around the fact they had this incredible driver Sebastian Loeb, who earned his place at the front of the team and probably shouldn't have ever been subject to a driver of equal status. But we know that there were circumstances that led that to believe that they were going to lose him. So yeah, they needed to get their their air apparent in place. So but, but, it was just a circumstance. But both guys, you know, I, I would like to think now they could maybe be friends. I'm sure they and they are. are. They are. They, 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 they really yeah. are. There's can a huge I just, amount
0: of respect. But, but at least, can I, can I just make this one I just one more point, could, George, on that? Very, Sorry, very,
1: on. very quickly, you can follow on from that. Just say, 50 minutes, he hasn't won a world title yet.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> right.
2: Maybe right. this is a two-parter. But, but,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think it might <laughs> be. But, but he, um, I have to say, though, that you know the the Ogier in that year won, what, five rounds? Was it five rounds? I think he did win five rounds that year. He mm. could have won the title that year, uh, mm. but he didn't. But, but, George, you know, you're saying you don't apportion blame and that mistakes weren't really made. I, I'd suggest otherwise. I'd suggest otherwise. I'd suggest that, 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 you know, the fact that they did have that ruptuous period that year that unsettled the team, that they weren't able to come up with a solution to keep Ogier in the red colours of Citroën, that was a massive mistake. That was a massive, massive mistake. And, and at the end of the day, a lot of these things are about communication, how you communicate these things to your drivers, how you sell it to your drivers. And I... I don't think it's beyond or it shouldn't have been beyond the wit of the combined brains and experience and knowledge at Citroen to come up with a solution that kept Ogier in the team and kept Loeb happy with his status as as the multiple world champion and the number one driver. I think that was a massive mistake. And I think that defined then Citroen's uh, you know, existence within the World Rally Championship. Well, if Citroen had secured... Well,
3: well, Colin, I I beg to completely differ with you. <laughs> I know how tough it is to keep those drivers happy. And I I, I can see the circumstance that Citroën were in. Sorry, I really can. And um, yeah, massive mistakes were made, 100%. But I wouldn't be apportioning blame for them. They were circumstances that were very, very difficult to manage.
2: Yeah, fair play. And it was. I'll it, buy that, George. It, it, it was that whole situation that. <laughs> That, that situation that, you know, Freckland was still there. And, you know, I absolutely loved Guy Freckland. You know, he was just an absolute genius and just the most amazingly charismatic guy to to, to work with and to deal with. But it was impossible for Canal to consider, you know, that he was going to come in and, and run the team when when Guy was still there in, in the background. You know, I remember the, remember the year in 06 when, it, when they had the Kronos team. And I remember Mark van Dalen van saying, you know, they had to have a meeting a couple of rounds in because it was impossible for him to make any decisions because Freckland was there, you know, all the time, even though it wasn't a factory team. Uh, so, yeah, I, I felt a degree of sympathy, a big degree of sympathy for, for Olivier Canel. And please, Olivier, listen into this podcast and come and let's make another one uh, about exactly David, what happened.
0: David, he's not talking to English journalists. Who? Canel, wasn't Is that what he said? Paul <laughs> what, what, what was his quote? What was another one of the great quotes that year? Oh, I can't
2: remember. It, I always it, got on really pro- well with him.
0: Exactly. No, but I think it may have been to our uh, our colleague Richard Rogers, where hmm. he said, I, I am not talking to English journalists because all English journalists tell lies. Ooh. <laughs> remember that? Oh my, no, Do you no. Remember I'd that? Good lord. I don't yeah, remember that one. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But so anyway, so... that's maybe what maybe why he's not be on the phone to you David. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> he went to Oak was well, it Oak Crazy? I, I like to,
3: I like to live Olivier Canell and but yeah, I have I to say go. that um um Mr. Mr. Frecklin and I weren't the best of pals. <clears clears throat> we know. Um,
2: yeah. <laughs> known as known oh, as no, Grizzly. Had, was he known as Grizzly? I've had uh,
3: I've had um I've had uh, serious um, serious uh, issues there shall we say <laughs> he was
2: he, he was a fairly fearsome kind of character um but yeah but no i, I when citroen came in whenever it was O one O two, that that set up with frekeland and jean-claude Vaucard designing the car i just loved that it was manna from heaven for me to go and talk to them
3: jean-claude vocard is a god there's a Genius. podcast on its, on its own i will tell
1: Absolutely. you all about that guy amazing yeah. Yeah, George, no. George, question I've got for you which I've had for a while, um, bearing in mind that we will have to come back to complete the career of Sébastien Ogier. Um, is the term team boss a misleading term? Are you actually in charge of much?
3: Of course, that, that is the subject of a, of a whole podcast as well, the dynamics of that in the different teams. So yeah, quite an interesting uh, topic to try and explain all the architecture. So it, it varies from team to team, massively. Uh, basically, the team principal is the boss. End of story. Make no mistake, in M Sport, Malcolm Wilson is the boss. Mm. At Toyota Team Europe, when I was there, Uwe Anderson was the boss. Um, I was allowed to do whatever I wanted, um, uh, as long as it was... What Uva wanted
2: <laughs> which which was
3: which was never spoken about bear in mind I grew up in that team That's how I entered that team as my entry into the WRC the professional world of motorsport mm. so I, I just I only knew the TTE way so it was pretty straightforward, but about once a month, maybe once every two months, UVA would fall out with me inexplicably for no good reason that I could figure out and being being a little bit headstrong, I would let him stew a little bit for a day or two. And eventually, I would wander through to his office if it was off an event, with an espresso from the espresso machine in my office. I would wander through and say, "Sit down and 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 say, Uva. I said I, I seem to have upset you again, Uva. You have to tell me what it is I've done. You shouldn't have to ask me. You should know what you've done wrong, Uva. I do seventy or eighty things a day. You know, honestly, I, the only thing I do is for 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 the team. And it, the, the the debate would go on a while, but basically, um." I, I ran the team operationally, but I didn't run the team technically. Um, that was that was run between UVA and the engineers operationally. It was run between me and UVA. Um, the driver strategy was basically UVA engineers and me a little bit, so it, it, it went between three of us really. Obviously, the drivers and the gravel crews, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So um, I don't think we were overly strong tactically speaking, but I think our general strategy was pretty good. And maybe it was the other way around, actually. Maybe our tactics were pretty good, but our strategy was open, shall we say. Because we, we ran two equal drivers in the years I was there as a as a, as a team manager. So I, I was in a slightly unusual time, 2005. So 1995 was the year that we had the ST205. And and uh, that wasn't a great year. It wasn't a great car. But we had two equal drivers, Yuha Kankinen and Diddy Oriol. We also had Armin Schwartz, but he was one (laughs) wrong back in terms of performance. But 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 an interesting an interesting driver all the same, but not quite got that edge that the the
2: the top two had. Um, Again, I think we need to jump. We need another another subject, but yeah, totally. It varies
3: varies from team to team.
2: But there's so much to talk about there, George. Absolutely, you know, huge,
3: huge, interesting stuff. I guess massively interesting.
2: But I just uh, you know I was about to ask you a question. And thought, no, I can't because we'll be yeah, gone for another I can't ten minutes. No, 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 you, you, can. Can you can, but it, it and it would be a ten minute answer and I'd want twenty minutes of, of answer. Uh, so I think we we perhaps at least do we spike that one and, and come back to it.
1: I think we'll come back to it. We'll do team boss. That's on my list of podcasts to do. Yeah. Team boss. Sounds are they good. thank you for the are question, they worth Lisa? the title? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Well in my
3: case obviously. Yeah, but <laughs>
1: Well, I think um, we've kind of run out of time for this edition of Spin the Rally pod, talking about the rise of Sebastian Auger. We were hoping to cover his entire career, but just too many good stories to talk about. So we'll have to come back. And we haven't even got close to him winning his first WRC title. Maybe we'll start with that next time round. If you want to get in touch, it's at Dirtfish Rally. Send us your questions, any topics you'd like us to talk about. Any questions you want, any of the experts, that's David Evans, uh, Senior Head Senior Writer, is that your title? Senior Head Title? Uh, writer? Oh, uh, I think writer it's now, uh,
2: Chief Bottle Washer, something like that. Lee. Chief Bottle Washer <laughs> yeah.
1: at Dirtfish Rally. Yeah. Colin at Voice of Rally, so many good stories to be told. If uh, you want Colin to uh, dig into his extensive and very good memory Mm. at Voice of Rally but at Dirtfish Rally send it to there and of course George knows everything there is to know about running a rally team I'm just a rally fan who sits back and listens to these stories and keeps herding the cats which is why this 45 minute podcast (laughs) is now an hour long (laughs) but we will be back for the next edition of Spin the Rally Pod where we'll continue looking at the career of Sebastian Ogier. See you later lads
0: See you See you ladies Thanks guys